Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. There's Charles W. Chuck Bryant. That makes this Stuff You Should Know, the podcast, the addiction, right? Yay. I was, I just realized I was giving all kinds of awesome sign language, but no one can see that. So I could see it. And just, it was having a, a beneficial effect on me. I was me. pumping you up. Yeah. Um, Chuck? Josh. How you doing? Good. Great. Good? I almost said good. I'm great. It's I'm Friday afternoon. Glad to hear that, dude. Yeah. You're about to go on vacation, too. I am. You're probably pretty excited, right? I am very. Y'all leaving tonight? Tomorrow morning. Awesome. Yes. You ready? Yes. Chuck. Yes. Do you know the economic cost for child abuse in the United States? I do, but I won't ruin it. It's massive. Let's talk about it. Because you can chart anything. Yeah, with, economists with money. are pretty good at that. They're really good at that. Um, you've got direct costs like um, foster care programs, law enforcement, hospital care, yeah. medical costs, that kind of thing. Um You've got indirect costs like funding the court system, right? Mm-hmm. Loss of productivity for all the people who have to like go to be on a jury, right? All that kind of thing. A hundred and four billion dollars in two thousand seven is what child abuse cost the U.S. Right, Josh? That sounds almost like more money than we spend on education in the United States. Uh, it was. It was that year. What? Well, the year before. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? It's interesting and sad. Yeah. Um. So, if you have no heart, but dollar signs really make sense to you, you can agree that child abuse is a bad thing, right? Right. Uh, if you do have a heart, then child abuse is a bad thing. Exactly. Either way, it's a bad thing. Right. Um, child abuse, though, is not necessarily all just battering children or sexually molesting children. There's also, and most of them, are cases of neglect. Yeah, they have a stat here. 86.6% are neglect. And uh, they surveyed some child welfare workers, mm-hmm. and this is an awkward stat, but it is eighty percent of them estimated that about half of their neglect cases were from drug uh, drug addicted parents. Right, which makes sense. It does. You're make addicted a to lot drugs. You're not going to provide care for your child adequately. Um, there, another study found that children who are born addicted to drugs, meaning that they have drug addicted parents who did drugs while they were pregnant, mm-hmm. or drug-addicted mothers at least, um, those kids are two to three times more likely to be abused than non-addicted children. I would argue that they're already abused. That's that's a good point, but even beyond that. I'd say 100%. That, yeah, even beyond later in that, life. they yeah, are sure. much more likely to become uh, abused, right. probably through neglect. Yeah. Because if you are like, I really need to score some crack, you're not going to be like, but first, I need to make sure my child has a healthy dinner. I got a pump and dump before I go out and hit the streets. That's another thing too. Yeah. Um, so what we've just done and what is not very difficult, we've connected, um, drug addicted parents to child abuse. Yes. We started out with child abuse is bad, right? Mm-hmm. Why don't we just sterilize drug addicts so they can't have any kids? That sounds like a great idea. <laughs> Does it? Uh, it sounds like an idea that's actually being done, is what that sounds like. Yes. And I have my dancing shoes on for this podcast. Do you? Because this is tricky business, dude. Yeah, you can see both sides. It's This lady, uh, Barbara Harris, makes some points where I think, interesting point. 
Plus, she has some cred. Let's talk about her real quick. Barbara Harris is the founder of something called Commune or Children Require a Caring Community, Crack, because community spelled with a K. Yeah, that's. I can't believe she stretched that. She is a former uh, International House of Pancakes waitress oh, really? who is a mother, a biological mother to six children and an adopted mother to four African American children who are born to a drug addicted mother. She's she adopted the walk. them. Yeah. She. Walks the walk. She spends her days driving the United States in an RV, promoting her um, organization, the main purpose of which is to carry out what's called project prevention, which is what we just mentioned, Chuck, sterilizing addicts. Yeah, and we should uh, say that her RV is not any ordinary RV. It has uh, the whole thing is decorated with a huge picture of a dead baby. Um, a line of crack cocaine, I believe a razor blade, mm-hmm. and then some things just don't go together is the quote. Yeah. Is that right? I couldn't find that one. I, I read that uh, in a Time article, I think, but um, I saw a picture of the one that she's using in the UK, mm-hmm. and it's a picture of a baby crying, and it says uh, she has her father's eyes and her mother's heroin addiction. So she has a knack for getting her message out there, and yeah. one of the ways she's done that, aside from her RV, is a string of billboards in the 90s. In Los Angeles, that um, had taglines like "Don't let pregnancy ruin your drug habit." Yeah, it's going to get some attention. Yep. Or uh, I think there was another one. It was like, um, "Like drugs? Are you pregnant? Get sterilized. Get three hundred bucks or something like that." Which basically is like, "Get sterilized, and we'll give you three hundred dollars in drug money." Well, there you go. That the cat's out of the bag. Um, That's what there, she's doing. There. Well, it, there's a lot of ways to look at this. It is a bribe for, to. It's a bribe to drug addicts who will, in most cases, spend their, this money on drugs mm-hmm. to give up their fertility. This woman is buying drug addicts' fertility yeah. through her, her program. Another way to look at it is that she is sh- taking a lot of the burden off of the state um, who uh, are were going to eventually be charged with caring for these children right. who are not yet conceived. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like we said, originally there were uh, billboards, flyers, aggressive methods like hanging out at uh, AA meetings and NA meetings. Right. And basically, um, Barbara Harris's view is that if you've ever been addicted, even if you're clean now, just go ahead and get sterilized because you've kind of given up your right to have children. Right. She doesn't see... Um, reproduction as a right, which is what makes her very contentious to most people. Very controversial yeah. thing that she's doing here. Yes. Clearly. So, Chuck, how does this work? Do you know? Well, Josh, um, it's important to point out that she will only uh, accept someone into the program that already has one child. At least one. At least one child. Yeah, you're right. And um, they, uh, the drug addict will have to fill out... Um, the paperwork and have their counselor, probably social counselor or judge-appointed counselor, sign something that says they are, in fact, drug addicts. Or a social worker Yeah, or an arrest report. You have to prove you're a drug addict first off. Got to prove it. And then you can either be sterilized or you can go on uh, long-term birth control. Right. And um, if you go on uh, birth control, you get 200 bucks. Mm -hmm. You um, get 100 up front, right? A hundred when you sign a contract that right. says I will do this and keep it up. Cash money. And then a hundred after you prove that you're you're doing it. Or you get three hundred bucks. Here's what they do. This is a bystander organization. They don't provide any kind of clinics where you where they perform the sterilization. Right. Basically what they do is say, prove to us you're a drug addict. 
okay, we believe you're a drug addict. You're not qualified. Sign this contract that says you'll go do this. Now go do it. Get Medicaid or Medicare to pay for your sterilization program. So you and I are paying for this free sterilization. Mm-hmm. And then come bring us a, a note from the doctor that says that this happened, that proves that this procedure happened, that you're sterilized, and here's your 300 bucks. And hey, if you bring by one of your crack addict buddies, uh, we'll give you another 50 bucks if they do it. Yep. Always got to pay the, re- the referral fee. Yeah. So. Uh, no strings attached. No except counseling. For, except for a contract. That's another problem, too. There isn't any kind of counseling. No, it's There's just. There's no parent yeah. classes, no uh-huh. parenting classes, no um, drug cessation programs. It's just, here's some money to go give up your reproduction, your ability to reproduce. Yep. And since uh, it's founding. I'm sorry, within 13 years of its founding, um, she has worked with more than 3,700 drug addicts in the United States, and about a third of those were sterilized. Yeah. From my math, roughly. The rest, I guess, are on long-term birth control. Wow. And now she's making her way to the UK, and she wants to go to Kenya for women with HIV and AIDS. Yeah, so... That's pretty successful in the U.S. in 13 years. In the U.K., she's finding a much harder time of it. Um, they, well, sort of. Well, she's getting a lot more flack. Yeah, but she got support to begin with. This is the reason she went over there. Some anonymous donor gave her 20 grand. Right. And she got a lot. Of, the BBC did a special on her, and she got a bunch of phone calls saying, please come over here. And then the an- anonymous donor came along, gave her 20 grand. She said yeah. that she took that as a sign. <laughs> a sign of 20,000 so signs. She started to set up in, in the UK. And if you go on the Project Prevention website, it says um, there's a, a UK tab that you can click. Um, so she is set up in the UK. And then you also mentioned Kenya. She's getting probably the most grief of all for Kenya, understandably. Really? Basically, she has decided that not only can you break the cycle of addiction by taking away the ability to reproduce among addicts, you can cure AIDS by just letting everybody who has AIDS die out and not reproduce basically with children AIDS. with AIDS or yeah. HIV. Right. Um, That's one in, step further. In both cases... It, it depends on how who you are and how you're looking at it. Right. Because there are definitely people out there who support this, the, the Kenya AIDS initiative and sterilizing addicts. Because in both cases, what you're looking at is uh, an end to a perceived cycle where everything else is failing. It's not necessarily the case, though. There is drug treatment for drug addiction. Right. There are uh, drugs that can treat HIV. Mm-hmm. Um, there are also educational programs that you can teach people to to take better care, yeah. take preventative measures. This lady's not interested in that. She's well, and in the UK, in- it's all free too. I mean, it's a part of the state, the the government uh, medical program. Well, same so you, here. So you can, well, yeah, I guess you can get birth control for free here, can't you? Medicaid, Medicare. Yeah, that's how this thing is functioning. Right. Addicts go get these procedures or their birth control for free for, through taxpayer-funded programs like Medicaid and Medicare. Right. They get and she's bucks. giving them three hundred bucks. Right. Um, t- just go talk about Kenya for a second longer. Did you look at that? Uh, no, I didn't look much into it actually. She, she found a doctor who said that he'll he'll insert IUDs, which is long-term birth control, uh-huh. but it's temporary. It's reversible for seven bucks a pop, and then she, her organization will pay um, women with HIV/AIDS um, forty bucks. For it, so really? for forty-seven bucks a person, she's just buying their reproductive abilities. Wow! In Kenya, there are a lot of people who are frustrated by that. I'm sure. So, Chuck, how is any of this legal? Well, uh, 
Planned Parenthood is one organization that uh, says, you know what, this is possibly illegal uh, if you're talking contract law because there's something when you have a, a vasectomy or any kind of sterilization that says uh, informed consent, like you have to be in there of your own free will. It's not uh, daddy isn't out in the car forcing you to go in and mm-hmm. get your tubes tied, right. that kind of thing. Um, they basically are saying that you know this 300 bucks is coercive, it's a bribe. And it's not informed consent going on. No, because if, if, if there's a bribe involved, yeah, you can't, like, informed consent can't exist. Medicaid and Medicare requires informed consent. Yeah. But here's the loophole. The, the informed consent has to be between the patient mm-hmm. and the provider. Right. Project prevention is a third party, an interested right. third party who is really not involved in that equation. And the court protects the lady going in to get her tubes tied. Yes, and the court's protecting the lady who's paying the person to go get their tubes tied because this is, e- even though like it's it's um, extremely unethical and immoral in some people's eyes, it is still technically legal right. because the the provider of the sterilization service is not giving this, this person 300 bucks. Someone else is. Here are two of her arguments, which made me at least sit back and think for a minute about what the heck is going on here. Because this is, like I said, this is a narrow line this lady's walking. Yeah. Some might say she's way, way over it. Uh, one of the arguments used against her is that these um, women are not in their right mind to decide to have this procedure done. Yeah. They're on drugs. You're giving them this money. So her argument back is, so they're not of sound mind enough to have this procedure, but they're of sound mind enough to decide to have a kid? Yeah, it's a good argument. Her other big argument is uh, against her is that you're taking away a woman's right to uh, choose to have a baby, essentially. And her argument in reverse is, well, why is that right more important than a child's right to be born into a uh, normal environment and have a shot at a normal life? Right. So I believe that she is not necessarily trying to create some pure race of uh, smart white people. I think she is trying to stop crack babies from being born. Yeah. But the way she's doing it is definitely stirred the pot. The impression I have is that even this lady's critics are um, say that she's a true believer. Yeah. She's not like a she's not a social engineer. She doesn't see it like that. Right. The problem is is like uh, I think a lot of people are worried about where she's getting her funding. I'm sure. Um her largest donor uh, apparently um crack and project prevention have about uh, $500,000 a year in operating budget, okay. right? Um, which I guess is enough to to, fu- to fuel the RV around the country and keep the website going and, and pay as many addicts as possible. Um, but most of that money's coming from a guy who is a billionaire named uh, Richard Mellon Scaife, right? Scaife. Never heard of him. Uh, I hadn't either, but he's apparently um, on the right Right hand of the spectrum. Okay, politically. Yeah, he uh, runs the Pittsburgh Tribune. Okay, which is a right wing newspaper as far as its leanings. Um, and he, the idea of a billionaire funding a project like that, right, scares the tar out of people because it gives it a classist um, bent. Right. Even if this lady's a former IHOP waitress, mm-hmm. if the people who are giving her the money to do this indefinitely are billionaires, right. then what, what you're talking about is how one person put it, um, 
you have a, a structure in which the economically privileged can and do dictate who will and who won't have children. Yeah. End quote. Yeah. Which means uh, you're you're on crack or you're black or we've decided that you're unfit to reproduce. Right. But instead of forcing it, we're going to pay you. But really, what's the difference? Yeah, I mean, it's a nonprofit, quote unquote, but a nonprofit funded by a billionaire. It's a different kind of nonprofit. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Uh, another uh, criticism is um, that it is racially uh, disproportionate. Um, she will point out that a thousand uh, clients were African American, whereas more than 1,800 have been white. But um, as far as percentages of population goes, it's it's skewed heavily towards blacks. Yeah, that makes a, a lot of sense. If you, I mean, in hard numbers, it's like, well, there's way more white people than black people who've taken part in this. But if you look at the proportion of the population, seventy um, something percent of the U.S. population is white, whereas only like about thirteen percent is black. Right. So those numbers actually are very disproportionate. Right. Um, and also, the original billboards targeted low-income, predominantly African-American areas of Los Angeles sure. at, at the beginning. Um, I think ultimately what scares people is that even if this is an addict's choice, mm-hmm. even if you agree this addict is making their own decision, and in some cases there are, um, in this Time article, there's a woman named Joanne Shavaria, and she's just like this model participant. There's a quote from her that said, like, when you stop having kids, it makes you think about what else you can do in life. She already has five kids. The state has custody of them. She got sterilized and took her $300 and bought Easter presents and educational toys for her children who she's trying to get back. Yeah, she already had three kids, and then she gave birth to two drug-addicted twins uh, because she was addicted to meth. At, um, she started doing meth at eight months uh, pregnant. Yeah, which is not a good time to start doing meth. <laughs> Never is a good time to start doing meth. That's a particularly bad time to start. Though. I would agree with that. Um, yeah, so she's the poster child. Uh, she is, but even if she's walking around, right, the the whole idea that that reproduction and reproductive rights should and could be controlled by other people, whether they're a private organization funded yeah. by a billionaire um, or the government smacks of the eugenics movement. We've already done this before, and it's it, it proved horrific, right? Yeah, we need to talk about eugenics. We definitely do. Let's do it. Well, remember, it came up in the uh, crime scene photography uh, our, uh, podcast, right? Yes. Uh, it, it was a big deal in the U.S., yeah, when did it start? Ni- turn of the century? 1900? Yeah, early early 20th century. Uh, eugenics was a movement, uh, a concept that you could create a fitter human species if you removed uh, undesirable traits right. um, like chronic disease, um, low socioeconomic status. Do you want to hear what this, this model law for eugenics? Yeah, well, say what the model law is first. Who, who was it that came up with that? A guy named Harry Laughlin. Um, he was the head of the eugenics record office. Now, remember at the time, in the, the um, this was 1914, that he came up with the model law. There was the, this idea that, like you said, Chuck, you could create a fitter human race by basically weeding out the undesirable elements. Yeah. And we just letting the, the healthy, robust ones reproduce. Mm-hmm. Simple as pie. Right. You get yourself a nice Aryan race. Boys from Brazil. Right. Um, so to to carry this out, most people who are unfit don't really consider themselves unfit. And even worse, in a lot of cases, 
um, one of the sure signs that they are socially unfit is that they're sexually promiscuous. Mm-hmm. So you got to take matters into your own hands, and the government has to force sterilization through the courts. And not just promiscuous. Should we read out some of the things in the law? Well, this these are the undesirables. Take it, Chuck. Uh, the feeble-minded, the insane, uh, criminalistic, the epileptic, the inebriate, the diseased, the blind, the deaf, the deformed, and dependent... And orphans, ne'er-do-wells, tramps, homeless, and paupers. The only thing I don't see in here is skullduggery. Right. I'm surprised. That's probably in here somewhere, actually. So that was the model law for um, forced government-mandated sterilization. United Those States. Those people who are targeted. Yeah, this is, is that the clear? U.S. <laughs> okay. Um, and by, this, by the time this model law was created, um, a couple of states already had their own compulsory sterilization laws. Based on the idea of eugenics, right? I think Indiana and Connecticut were hot, hot on hot on the trail, right? Yes, yeah. Uh, California came uh, fairly late to the game um, in the uh, early to mid twenties. They had a law, but by that time, by like nineteen twenty four, um, twenty five hundred of the three thousand people who'd been forced to be sterilized under this law um, were in California, and one of the ideas behind it was that it was a tax-saving measure. Right. The uh, Really interesting, considering today's... It sounds very familiar. Yeah. Um, the uh, U.S. Supreme Court Justice uh, Oliver Wendell Holmes very uh, famously said something that might also sound familiar as far as logic goes. Um, he said, quote, It is better for all the world if instead of waiting to execute degenerate offspring for crime or to let them starve for their imbecility, society can prevent those who are manifestly unfit from continuing their kind. And he finished up, and we'll talk about this case, with saying three generations of imbeciles are enough. He's talking about Carrie Buck. Yeah. And uh, she was a 17-year-old in Charlottesville, Virginia. She uh, was the first person chosen to be sterilized in Virginia under the new model law. Yeah. Uh, she had a kid but was not married. Her mother was uh, in an insane asylum called the Virginia Colony for the Epileptic and the Feeble-Minded. Mm-hmm. It's not a place you want to visit no. and not leave. Uh, and here's her story. She was um, picked because they f- uh, thought that she shared hereditary traits with her mother of feeble-minded, uh, feeble-mindedness and sexual promiscuity. Uh, they thought it was genetic. She already had one kid, and they thought, you know what, it's probable that she's going to have a socially inadequate uh, child after this, and let's sterilize her. Let's make her case number one in Virginia. Yeah. Took her. Uh, they went to court. Um, it went all the way to the Supreme Court. Um, people testified against her that she had a record of immorality and uh, syphilis, prostitution and untruthfulness. Yeah. So the judge said, uh, okay, let's sterilize her. And it was upheld. And it was upheld. Because that Oliver Wendell Holmes decision, that quote, came from the majority opinion that, yeah, we should go ahead and sterilize this girl, and she was sterilized. But what happened, Josh, afterward? Well, her what do kid, we know now? We, we Her kid was studied um, tremendously. Uh, this was not like uh, there was popular widespread support for eugenics in the U.S., but there are also plenty of people who are like, what are you doing? This is the worst thing we've ever done. Right. Um, so her kid, um, Vivian. Vivian Buck, was um, was followed. Uh, her A lot of stuff was not entered into the public record when during Carrie Buck's trial mm-hmm. or hearings. Um, 
for one, she wasn't promiscuous. She was raped by her foster parents' relative. That's why she had Vivian. Right. Um, and then Vivian was not a an example of a third-generation feeble-minded person. She was a solid B student, apparently, and was on the honor roll. Um, that was her first-grade report card. So basically this woman was the the test case to keep sterilization going or to really get mm-hmm. it going. Uh, proved fraudulent in the end. Well, not only that, but her defense lawyer, it turns out, this was later uncovered, conspired with the lawyer for the insane asylum to guarantee that it would be upheld. Yeah. So it was completely fraudulent, uh, but it was upheld. Yes. In Virginia. And 8,300 Virginians were sterilized after that uh, Buck versus Bell case. Yep. 8,300. Yep. Um Harry Laughlin, the guy who uh, was running the eugenics record office and who wrote that model law in 1914, <laughs> he went on to get a, mo- um, a medal from the Nazi government in 1933 for um, his his contribution to the science of racial cleansing from the University of Heidelberg. Yeah, got an honorary degree. And um, I didn't know this, but apparently the Rockefeller Foundation uh, funded the German... Uh, I can't remember the name of the the research facility, but funded the German research facility where this was being born over there, where, uh, uh, is it Mengele? Is that, yeah. Is that the guy? Rockefeller Center was funding them at the time, too. Wow. And the Nazi says, this is a great idea, and we'll go on to sterilize 350,000 people, and turns out that's not even enough, so we're just going to start killing them. Right. So if, if you start people that say, around. like, oh, what could something ever lead to? You never know what it could lead to. Well, in the U.S., in the United States, um, it led to a um, 33 states with compulsory sterilization laws on the books that continued into the 1970s. 1970s. We were sterilizing the mentally retarded in the U.S. I was alive. I was born, and this was going on. Yeah. Um, and ultimately, about 60,000 people lost their ability to reproduce um, at the hands of the U.S. government. Unbelievable. Um and this, the guy who wrote this um, great paper, he's actually a, pretty much an expert on the eugenics movement in the U.S. His mm-hmm. name is Paul Lombardo. He's a University of Virginia professor. Um, he points out that the um, Carrie Buck case uh-huh. that basically allows compulsory sterilization of feeble-minded people is still on the books. It's not overturned. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, but it's one of those that's not. I, uh, you sure. couldn't do it today, but right, wouldn't right, that right. be interesting if that came up and somebody, when somebody ultimately challenges project prevention? Uh, I have a list of people who supported eugenics. Are you going to call them out? I am. And this is not to say that they supported sterilization because eugenics had a lot more to do with, right. it was broader than just sterilization. Mm-hmm. But Woodrow Wilson, uh, Margaret Sanger, who is the founder of Planned Parenthood. That's right. Who was a lightning rod herself in her time. Big time. And, now and continues Planned, to be. Now Planned Parenthood is criticizing um, Barbara Harris, which really says something. <laughs> no. uh, Oliver Wendell Holmes, obviously we mentioned him. H.G. Wells, Teddy Roosevelt, John Maynard Keynes, mm-hmm. and uh, George Bernard Shaw are just a few who thought eugenics was a pretty good idea at the Charles time. Charles Lindbergh? Did you yeah, see him? No, no, no. Was he in there? Yeah, remember, he was all about... I um, thought it was Darwin. And Lindbergh. Really? Mm-hmm. I didn't know Lindbergh was in there. It was in that one article you sent me. No, that was for transhumanism. Right, but it was for certain people. Oh, It was based gotcha. on eugenics. Dang. <laughs> <laughs> 
So, Chuck, um, like you said, you had your dancing shoes on, and I can appreciate that. Well, should we talk about Jack Skinner real quick, though? Or do you want to? Well, yeah, because that was when it was actually struck down in 1942, uh, uh, Oklahoma criminal. Um, they were going to start sterilizing criminals, or they had been already, probably, right? For repeat criminals. Repeat criminals? Yeah. And he was a chicken thief and uh, an armed robber, and this went to uh, court, and Justice William O. Douglas struck it down. And had a very good point. He said, uh, you're not going to, essentially, I'm paraphrasing, <laughs> you're not going to sterilize a three-time embezzler. Right. But you'll sterilize a, a chicken thief. So it comes back to class once again. Yeah. And th- that's where we are again. Um, again, you did a good job with your dancing shoes. Yeah. I'm dancing. Nice. Um it, depending on how you feel about it, uh, this isn't going anywhere. This lady's been doing this for 13 years, and it first got attention like right when she first started doing it. Mm-hmm. She gets attention every once in a while. I just heard about her like a couple of months ago. I reckon if you've seen that RV around town, you'll pay attention. Yeah, and if you're in the U.K., look out for it because they're um, they're already investigating her people um, for very aggressive tactics. Apparently, this woman came out of a clinic with her kid, and one of the project prevention people ran up and was like, hey, how would you like 300 pounds to be sterilized or 200 pounds to be sterilized? And she's like, what? She wasn't a drug addict. Oh. Yeah, which Oops. caused a tremendous <laughs> amount of offense, and now they're, it's being investigated. She's but just thin. I'm, I'm wondering what kind of um, reception she'll ultimately have there. And she's got her sights on Australia next. Too. Really? Yeah. So project prevention, sterilizing addicts. The answer to the question Technically, yeah, it's legal. Reeks of eugenics. Yeah, but that's not illegal. That's right. And apparently you can go out and compulsorily sterilize a, a feeble-minded person as long as you can provide that they were feeble-minded. You know, we should do a, a, some podcasts on some like awesome things that America has done. <laughs> I feel like we're always dredging up these awful things that we did in our past history, but people, a lot of people don't. I'm never, I was never taught about eugenics in high school. Oh, no, neither was I. I didn't, um, know, about, I didn't know we sterilized 60,000 people. But I think that's why we have to do this sometimes, Chuck, because we know a lot of the good stuff. You're right. We, we do need to, to come up with some great, awesome stuff to talk about, too. But I think people generally think that way. Right. And I think that a lot of this... The dirty, nasty stuff just gets covered over, and it can't. Can't. Because we're in the midst of a case of history repeating itself. Yeah, absolutely. And if we don't talk about it, if people don't know about it, then you don't have the the luxury of hindsight. Or to make an informed decision. Exactly. Huzzah to that, sir. So, uh... Uh, Sterilized Addicts will bring you the article, which we just pretty much did to death. Um, but if you want to see some pictures of heroin um, and a meth-addicted couple with their child, you can type in uh, Sterilized Addicts at the handy search bar at HowStuffWorks.com, which means it's time for listener mail. Not so. It is time for, uh, what do we call it, administrative detail? Administrative Breaks on. That was a really good break sound, Chuck. Thank you. Uh, quick announcement, everyone. We are coming to South by Southwest in Austin, Texas. Mm-hmm. Uh, you need a badge to get in to see us. We're going to be doing a live podcast. You need a, a gold or platinum level interactive badge? I think it's uh, a Krypton level. Right. <laughs> Kryptonite. Yes. No, it's not. But we're going to be podcasting live regardless at the Driscoll Hotel. Okay. 11 a.m., Monday, March 14th. Yep. And uh, we'd like you to come down and see us. We'll podcast and then do a little Q&A. 
plainly, we would like you to come see us. So just come see us. What you, what's your problem? Yeah, get just your hands come. on a badge. You can do it. Yeah. yeah. Just take one. Most of the people wearing the interactive badges are going to be pasty, maybe <laughs> a little weak. Right. So just get a badge. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And we'll see you there. All right. Back to it? Yeah. Okay. Uh, we like to take time every couple of months to thank people who send us gifts in the mail because it's a real nice thing to do. Yeah. Sometimes people are plugging their little Etsy site. We'll plug that away. It's fine. Uh, Travis, local Travis, sent us uh, tickets to the Village Theater here in Atlanta. Improv. Yeah. And I haven't gone yet, but I got my tickets. We should go on the same night. Let's do it. But don't tell Jerry. We'll double date. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Sounds good. Um, Let's thank Becca E. and her uh, two dogs, Frey and Freya. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, for the homemade doggy treats that our dogs enjoyed. Yeah, mine are still enjoying them. Mine too. I still have a few left. Mm-hmm. They, they, they love them. They're though. delicious. They're like Scooby snacks, but made from home. Uh, Joey sent us personalized Ghostbuster shirts. Yeah. And it's it's like the tuxedo t-shirt. It's as if you are wearing the Ghostbusters uniform, right. and it says Bryant on it. Or, mine uh, says actually, Clark. Oh, uh, does it? Yeah. Okay. I thought it might say Roland. <laughs> Yours says Roland? Because I think you got Jerry's. I'm just kidding. Um, Stinkfreedirect.com sent us some nice odor control (laughs) stuff. Thank you very much for that. We actually need it. Uh, Mary Magenta, which has a, uh, she has a great name. She sent us homemade calendars. And I have mine hanging up in my cube. I use it. And tomorrow is full radish on my calendar. And I think that means full moon. Um, Jay Nolan of jnolanfilm.com sent home-baked cookies. I guess we should say again, that's Jay Nolan of jnolanfilm.com, J-A-Y. Cookie bribe. Uh, Tony from Wisconsin. He's a Scotty, and he sent us lovely drawing of a butterfly. And Tony, I think, is young, because I think it was a crayon drawing, but it was, you know, it's from the heart. Yeah. Um, VFP sent us a postcard from Dubai. Very nice. Sent us each one, I believe. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah, we got two. Uh, Kate and TC sent us a homemade valentine. Of a T Rex holding a heart, and it was uh, we like homemade stuff. It was very cute. Yeah, Kate NTC. Uh, Victor sent us a postcard from Malta. Uh, Lindsay and Nick they sent us a real picture. Yeah, so it's been a while since I've held a real picture like that of us with them. Uh, we met them at the Brooklyn trivia event, and Nick, uh, I think it was Army, was leaving to go to Afghanistan. I think the next day, and they took time to route themselves through Brooklyn to come to our trivia event. We met them both, and he is back in two days from I, today. Oh, is that right? And, but he Well, two days from the day she wrote the, the, the letter. Right. I think he's back. I think he said hi on the Facebook page. Oh, really? I think. So he's back. Yeah. He's definitely back by the time this is out. Oh, yeah. So, Nick, glad you're back safe and sound, buddy. Thanks for the picture, Lindsay and Nick. Um, we got a huge, awesome assortment of Christmas cookies from Mo, uh, Mona Colantine. Oh, yeah, Mona's in us. She's a big fan on the um, Stuff You Should Know Facebook page. Yeah, Mona's a nice girl. I yeah. know her. And she, uh, she sent us tons of Christmas cookies, which were awesome. So I say girl, Mona's not a girl. She's a, she's she's a lady. She's a lady. <laughs> uh, Joe Garden, our buddy, Joe yeah. Garden from The Onion. Definitely. Sent us Onion t-shirts and hoodies uh, because he promised them months and months ago. Mm-hmm. And you can support Joe if you like funny things by buying his books. Yeah. Uh, the Dangerous Book for Dogs, The Devious Book for Cats, mm-hmm. and my favorite, The New Vampire's Handbook, A Guide for the Recently Turned Creature of the Night. Yeah. And Joe writes these with other Onion writers, and they're all obviously very funny. 
And speaking of the onion, Chuck uh, was used for a photo for an onion article <laughs> on a hunter being busted for not having a license, right? Yeah. So the the, fulfilled. the hunter becomes the prey? That's right. Yeah. Um, how could we not thank Aaron Cooper, who Coop. made us some super cool Magnum PI t-shirts with our images on them? Yeah. That was actually a, a t-shirt um, contest submission. That was just so awesome. He made them anyway and sent them to us. So awesome we couldn't use it. Yeah. Licensing rights and all that. And Coop, we always thank Coop just because his awesome photoshops because he saw the uh, full metal jacket ones. Yeah. Those are pretty good. Yeah. And um, off-putting. Of course, uh, Andrew and Janelle for their Christmas card, right? Yeah. Ben and Leah sent us a Christmas card, too. Uh, Abigail, she is a 12-year-old who sent us four handwritten letters. Nice. And it's always nice to get a handwritten letter because it reminds me of being 12 years old. Yes. Uh, Emily, uh, not my wife. Emily sent us 15. I'm sorry, she is 15, and she sent us a letter because her mom took her computer away because of overuse. Wow. So she had to write a letter. Uh, Tony in Hawaii sent us a handwritten letter as well. And Martin Van Nostren. Of course. <laughs> Weirdo, sent us twisted our, friend. He in, sent us like some of our best stuff ever. Yeah, he always sends us great stuff, uh, bacon-related things, CDs of comedians and weird bands. Uh-huh. And, and he he basically sent us a box full of goodies from Merchbot.com, which he said, make sure you think Merchbot support too. those guys. Yeah, Merchbot.com. Thanks to everybody who sent us stuff, whether it was a postcard, a letter, a bacon tuxedo, what have you. Uh, we appreciate you. Uh, if you want to go say hi to us, you can check us out on Facebook at facebook.com slash stuff you should know. We also tweet at SYSK podcast. And as always, you can send us an email. Oh, wait, go join our Kiva team, kiva.org slash team slash stuff you should know. And then you can always send us an email, stuffpodcast at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. To learn more about the podcast, click on the podcast icon in the upper right corner of our homepage. The HowStuffWorks iPhone app has arrived. Download it today on iTunes. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you